Hello, friends. Welcome to Our Value, brought to you by IDI Distributors, America's insulation source. This is the Insulators Podcast. We'll bring you industry experts in building science, fiberglass, spray foam and spray foam equipment, business and marketing leaders, and many others. So sit back, relax, take some notes, and listen in to Our Value. I'm Travis Pancake. Sales and training here at IDI, alongside my co-host Don Clymer, National Spray Foam Manager. How What's you up, doing, Pancake? Don? Doing a little podcast. This one's going to be fun. I'm excited about this one more than any other one we've done so far. <clears throat> so today we have a guy that is probably not known to people outside of the Midwest. But why don't you? You got a little something there on him, don't you, Don? Yeah. So coming up on today's uh, show. We have a guy who sold more clothes hangers, I mean, exercise equipment, than anybody else. This is going to be one of the most interesting and hopefully entertaining and funny podcasts that we've done so far. And if you grew up in Minnesota or the surrounding states in the Midwest, you know this guy. I think all I have to say is, why buy new when slightly used will do? Except when the deals are this good. Exactly. Um, That's right. We have the founder of Second Wind Exercise Equipment on today. Um, Now, I know the listeners out there are probably thinking, why are we having a guy who sold exercise equipment on the show? Well, it's because he's gone through a lot of the same things that our listeners will go through or have gone through at some point in their career. He's experienced phenomenal growth and sales. He's had to ride out the lowest of the lows, and he started multi-million dollar businesses on the back of napkins. He's a graduate of the, the college What's a Matter You in Eastern Ohio, and he has one hell of a head of hair. <laughs> head of hair. Uh, Dick Enrico. Dick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Dick, when we uh, when we sat around the conference table uh, at IDI and we're talking about doing a podcast, you were one of the first guys who jumped to mind that I, I'm like, I got to get this guy on the show. Uh, you came to our national sales meeting several years ago, um, and, and you were engaging and entertaining. Just a great speaker. You have a great story. Um, you know, you used to try to run me off the road. Uh, when we our, our offices were close to each other. That was my first experience with you. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like I said, you're, you're one of the guys out there because I think even though you're not in the industry, I think our listeners will be able to, to gain some knowledge on how to strive or, you know, survive and, and thrive in this, in this marketplace, right? Um, so when I asked you to send over your bio, it was perfect. I mean, it was funny, great, great information on there. And I kind of just want to jump right into that um, and have you kind of explain what it was like growing up on the Iron Range and, and how, you, how you came with all these great ideas out there. Well, thanks for, uh, once again, for the opportunity to share my story. In, in one side of the coin, people say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You're started, you started all kinds of, uh, of businesses. And as flattering as they may appear and sound, I have a different uh, explanation of my behavior. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm an occupational opportunist. (laughs) What does that that mean? (laughs) I've never had a job other than a kid growing up, and I had all kinds of those. But I realized early in life that I didn't deal well with direction. For what reasons, I don't really know. But discipline and directions were not one of my uh, strong points. Subsequently, I made a decision early that, I was not hireable. 
So because of that behavior I, or selection, I decided or elected to have to pursue different opportunities. And growing up on the Iron Range was really interesting. Uh, I was one, the oldest of three uh, Italian, first-generation Italian uh, Americans. Uh, my dad was one of 12 uh, children, and unfortunately or fortunately, as the case may be, He's seen the eighth grade as his three brothers did. Um, Try to drop out and help out. So work ethic was something I understood really well, more by osmosis than by lecture. Sure. Because he wasn't very communicative. He was too busy trying to stay alive and uh, economically stay alive and working really, really hard. So anyway, throughout high school, I I seen all those things. And speaking of high school, I, I was academically challenged. I didn't like school. I wasn't very good at it, and I looked for ways to get out of things. Subsequently, that didn't help me as life progressed. But anyway, going through high school, I had a whole litany of various jobs. I mean, a lot of crazy little jobs, but they were all very entertaining. They were educational. And the one thing that that I think was instrumental growing up in a small town is work ethic, work ethic. Uh, I didn't have an option. My parents were, you know, I jokingly say there's white collar, blue collar, no collar. I think my dad was no collar. Uh, I didn't fully appreciate that. But did both parents work? No, my dad did. My mother did. She was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was just a laborer. He worked in the mines and a and a litany of other manual labor uh, positions. So money was never a luxury, but we never were without. But then again, what's without? I didn't experience much. Didn't know any different. That's it. You grew up with the environment you're in. And um, uh, but anyway, as a kid, uh, when I got out of high school, and I mean barely got out of high school, I jokingly say uh, they asked me to leave when I was 20 because I had a chauffeur's license. (laughs) That's not. That's not far from the truth (laughs) because it was a little touch and go. So by accident, this is kind of interesting. I understand or understood the sales game really early in my life. How did you learn that? Um, Going back when I was very young, I I was very good at raising money for various uh, um, fundraising activities, whether it was selling candy, whether it was selling magazines, selling this, selling that. I took it and I I just gravitated to it, and by accident, I— I was pretty good at it. You found so it fun. I found it interesting, yeah. being able to engage in people, be persuasive, uh, motivate people to kind of correspond with my way of thought. It was so a anyway, bit of a game too, right? It was. It was. I was the hunter rather than the hunted. So anyway, uh, when I got out of high school, by accident, I got into selling pots and pans, cookware, but pots and pans to the single working girl market. Up on the Iron Range? Up on or? the Iron okay. Range. Up on the Iron Range. That's a range. tough sell, I bet. Very tough. And the guy that recruited me, he lasted about three weeks. <laughs> and uh, I was stuck up on the range by myself. I didn't have any money. My mother lent me the $21 to get started uh, with one, two conditions. One was that I wouldn't tell her husband, my father, because he wouldn't understand. And number two, that I repair. Uh, so subsequently... That's how I got started, and I started selling cookware to the single working girl market. And by accident, I became really, really good at it. I roamed around that iron range, peddling pots and pans, 
to this young gals that were uh, aspiring to start a hope chest or hopeless chest or despair barrel, <laughs> right. whatever you want to call despair it. Despair barrel. I back in those that. days. <laughs> sure. And anyhow, I got pretty good at it. And uh, in a not too long or uh, length of time, I knew what my dad was earning approximately. And horsing around, I had a bigger or greater income than he did. Were you still living at home? I was living at home. He he didn't know what I was doing. That was another thing. I, I had to kind of sneak around. Really? And I'm out there peddling these, this cookware, and I'm traveling to, to small towns on the range. And I did that for almost two years up there. And when I realized that the territory was pretty limited, I then sat down with him. This is in 1960 now. This is, um, it tells you kind of old I am. Yeah. I got out of school in 58. In 1960, I had a confession to make, and it was brutal. And I shared with him that, to my father, I said, I'm moving to Minneapolis, Minnesota. He said, what are you going to do? I says, well, I'm going to continue what I've been doing for two years. I'm going to sell pots and pans. And his response was, I didn't know you were working in a hardware store. I says, <laughs> I says no, no. And I didn't want to take the time to explain sure. it to him because he wouldn't understood. Yeah. Banging on doors and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so anyway, I packed up and moved to the cities. And it was a whole new ball game in the cities. Yeah. The prospects were immeasurable. By 1961, I had my own company. Uh, I obtained a line of uh, cookware from the West Bend Company, and I started Kitchen Craft of Minnesota, and I started recruiting college kids to work for me, and I built a pretty successful organization. So let's go back to that. So you were you were selling the pots and pans, cold calling door-to-door. Door-to-door. <clears throat> and then you said, hey, I can do something bigger and better. How did you have the, the knowledge or when was it that you reached out to West End or what West, was there? West, West Bend. When West, I, I got to be known in the industry just because of my production up in the, up in the Iron Range. I mean, it's it's a small world in the sense that people in the game knew that there was this guy up on the range that didn't know any better that was selling a lot of coke. Sure. Right? Yeah, they took notes, uh, notes of units moving, I suppose. The, whatever, hey, right? Where's all this stuff going? That's right. Anyway, so I, that happened and uh, I got pursued and and uh, I said why not so I beca- I started my own distributorship back in 19 well 1960 I started poking around 61 I started it and I moved to Minneapolis rented an apartment and I rented my first office space and I was scared to death it was on south Minneapolis and the rent was $85 a month <laughs> 85 bucks a month and, uh, but did you also feel you were scared? But did you also feel like, hey, I'm I'm making it? I, I knew what I was doing. Yeah, and and ultimately, I started adding to my inventory where I brought in other products, dishes and sewing machines and cutlery and because you were getting asked for that stuff. No, from, no. I just wanted more ammunition to go out and call on these gals with. Right? Sure, you had the insight to expand, expand you know right? other products. In other words, have another bullet in the chamber, right? Yeah. Rather than one. Yeah. So I started carrying products that I thought they would have been candidates for and developed a fairly successful organization. In fact, a big organization for direct sales. In doing so, I I had a firm grasp on the word rejection. (laughs) 
because when you're knocking on the hardwoods, in those days there wasn't security to get in the buildings. They all lived in apartments. It was very easy to get in. You just had to be a little more creative, have a little more clever approach. And uh, these are things that, that I did to separate myself out of the pack. So how did you, okay, so we have uh, probably a lot of our listeners are sales guys out there trying to to get that house, to get that builder to sign up to the program. And you said rejection. You, you learned to handle that. I mean, what was the, the biggest takeaway you had with, or how, how to overcome that? Well, here, the, the, the old story, the law of averages, okay? There's a law of averages. There's batting averages. You bat 350, you're in the Hall of Fame. That means a little over one out of three. Yeah you're successful right and the same in the sales game it's just a matter of making sales calls i just became more proficient on my approach now everybody's got a personality i'm very creative and it's all said and done yep. i'm very creative and i use that to my advantage one disadvantage that i had and it was very obvious is i wasn't a very good trainer <laughs> okay because you can't train personality just because you're a good sales guy doesn't, doesn't mean, you're, mean you're a good trainer. Yep. Right? And I recognized early in the game that I wasn't a good trainer. And I'm going to share a little story with you. And I just like this happened yesterday. And this, this is almost 50 years ago. I had a recruit, very excited, to, 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 a good-looking guy. In fact, he had a, a foreign accent. He was from Greece, very attractive guy. And he said to me, he said, there's no way, there's no reason I can't sell a lot of cookware. I just know I can. But... I don't know how to get in the door. Okay, and he kept saying that to me. And uh, I thought to myself, all right, fine. The guy really wasn't going to make it, but I said, I'm going to give him a shot, right? Yeah. So I took him up with me on a Saturday morning. So I was good to go on Saturday mornings early because I worked all the time. And being that there's no security in these systems, and we went into, and I knew the area very well, all the apartments where these young ladies lived. So we go in this little six-unit building downstairs to the left, been in the building many times. You can always tell when somebody's there on the radio's playing. Mm-hmm. So we're down in the basement, there's lower level in the hall, and he sees I'm going to knock on the door, and I'm going to say, I'm going to show you how to get in. No. I'll show you, young I'll show you how to get in, right? Because yeah. he kept saying, you show me how to get in, I'll know how to do it. So he is standing as close as he could to the door across the hall, six, eight feet away from yeah. me. So I rap on the door, standard answer. Who's there? Dick Enrico. What do you want? I'm with the National Hearing Society, and we're checking on the acoustics of the building. Did you hear me? (laughs) What? I says, ma'am, you have a problem. Would you please open the door? I have to talk to you. The door opens, a skid chain there. She's peeking out, and I do my spiel again, and she's looking at me like I'm crazy. I says, it's very important that I talk to you in your premise. We're checking the acoustics of the building. She opens. I said, come on. I round him up. I says, we're in. <laughs> it didn't go any further than that at all. I said, thank you for your time. There seems to be no issue here. There's no issue here. We go outside. He looks at me. He says, I can't do this. I says, I know you can't. <laughs> By what? 9.15, he was retired. Oh, that's amazing no, Is story. that fair? No. <laughs> National Acoustics? What was it? I was at the National Hearing Society. Checking, checking on, on the, the acoustics <laughs> of apartments. Okay. No, you can't train anybody on that. Uh, to get through three inches or two inches of oak, you got to be creative, sure. right? Yep. Now, I'll speed the clock up a little bit. 
1965, this is long before cellular phones, long before, and that was another business I was in. In the Wall Street Journal I bought, I seen an ad for a phone in a suitcase, oh, yeah. briefcase. Yeah. I, it was 2500 bucks. $2,500 then was a lot of money. Yeah. I buy the thing, and I knew what I was going to do with it, right? It was going to be my way to get in to see these young ladies, right? Because I worked on referrals, and I always had their phone number. So anyway, when I get this phone in a briefcase, and it weighed 18 pounds, it was very inconvenient, <laughs> very oh, inconvenient. So I'd go up to the door, and by myself, obviously, and I'd prop it up against the door. I could hear the music in the background. And it was a ship-to-shore phone. That's kind of how it works. So you dial a number that takes you to an operator, and then the operator dials you the number. Really? Okay. So I got wow. it propped up against the wall because it's so heavy, and I'm dialing, and uh, I could hear phone ringing in the apartment because the acoustics weren't very good, right? You found that out. Hello, yeah. and I said, Mary, this is Dick and Rico. I have you on the phone, but I got something I want to talk to you about. Why don't you hang up and let me in? She says, excuse me? I said, I'm outside your apartment. I'll knock again on the door. That's me outside, but I got you on the phone, too. But it's more important <laughs> I talk to you in the person, right? There's some okay. creativity. Oh, my gosh. The skid chain would open, and i peek around. And could, she'd see me holding the phone, and, what it, and it was, I can't even describe the look, because back in those days, the only one that had a phone and a shoe was Get Smart. Sure. <laughs> yep. So I'm in. I'm yeah. in. And once I got in, I got a chance to do the deal. Yeah. I sold more cookware. And you talk about referrals, right? Because the next day, they always say, well, I bought pots and pans. He's got a phone and a suitcase. He's got a phone and a suitcase. Oh, I don't believe that. Send them over to see me. Right. Unbelievable. Best 2500 bucks you, you ever and spent. And you knew it would happen that way. That's why you that, invested right. the $2,500. I had the perception to see, I got to get in. Somehow I have to get in. And another, I mean, there's so many crazy things, right? I'd knock on a door. Who's there? Dick Enrico. What do you guys want? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who's, where's the Rico guy? And I ultimately did a com- television commercial on Dick Enrico, a guy, a friend of mine, kind of looked like me. We did I, a spiel. I remember those, actually. I remember those. But anyway, those. those are some of the things. And it's a matter of being um, innovative. It's a matter of having a sense of humor. And these are personality yeah. traits that are very difficult. So I don't want to influence the audience to say you got to be a stand-up comic. Right. Yep. I'm a funny dude, but I'm dead-ass serious when I'm in the game. Sure. In the peddling game. And my thought process has always been, and the reason, one, one reason, good reason why uh, selling cookware was successful is I, I approach it with four, four very distinct bullet points. You start with a suspect. Hopefully, you turn the suspect into a prospect. You get in front of them to make the pitch. This is applicable to any kind of sales game now. And if you earn the right and do a good job, you might get a referral. And if you can do that in simultaneous behavior in sync, you become lethal. I knew yeah. how to do that. Suspect, prospect, close the deal, ask for a referral. Yeah. And when you got the referrals, is because you earned the right for a referral. We hear that from from the, our trainers that we use. It's it's earning it, right? earning the right for yep. referral. Uh, it just is right. Yeah. And I'm really, really customer sensitive. 
in those days, and I continue it today, is any person, and I've sold a lot of products to the consumer, always to the consumer, never B2B, always to the consumer, the end user. I always follow it up immediately the next day with a thank you card, a handwritten thank you card. Today, that's a lot. Still to this day. Oh, right to this day. At my current business today, Second Wind, I used to send out, and it was difficult, but I I got to the point I would send out 40 a day to customers all over the country. In fact, just the other day, I got a call from a gal in St. Louis. I sold Second Wind four years ago. I got a call from her. She had my card. I knew that, right? And she says, I need a service call on my treadmill. I says, you have one of my business cards, don't you? (laughs) I said, I sold the business four years ago, but here's who you call. Yeah, that's awesome. So the, the, the power of that is to never forget the value of your client. Yeah. And I can't emphasize that enough. The value of your client most people are hit and miss. If they hit, make a score, they move on, never to call back. I think of it entirely differently. And and it's just my behavior. At Second Wind, I had hundreds of salespeople working in retail stores. I'd like to think it was mandatory that they sent out thank you cards. Most of them didn't. Sure. Even though I furnished it. The yeah. card, I furnished the post. You gave them the tools. I gave them all the tools. And but the interest- ones that did do it, they were the successful yeah, ones. Yeah. Yeah, they so let's were- get into that a little bit about how, okay, so we went from pots and pans to second wind. Yeah. So what was what was the transition there? Did you sell the, what was the name of the company? Kitchen Craft. Here. Kitchen Craft. Yeah, I did that till I was 35 years old and selling uh, things to the, hope chest items to the single working girl market. No, what'd you call it? A dis. Despair barrel? Despair barrel. Hope, hope chest items, right. <laughs> and I sold um, a lot. I mean, a lot. And I, 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 I there's things in time prohibiting here. There's there's things that I did that nobody's ever done. We've got all the time we in the world. We can do as long you. as you want, uh, Dick. This, this is great. I'll go back to the cookware business. Yeah. You know, beating on doors was one thing. And I did a lot of that. And I was good at it. And I knew how to do the referrals and what have you. But then I got a little more creative. I said, my story is so good. Why not share it to a group? So what I elected to do is to go after nursing students, third-year nursing students, and I'd get a hold of the, the leader of the class, president, whatever. Yeah. How, how did you come up with that nursing, well, nursing students because they were in an educational field. When there was a, when they got out, they would be making a decent income. Sure, they were a little more mature. So you were thinking in the future. Oh, for sure, sure. Yeah, okay. they were twenty, twenty-one years old now rather than eighteen. They had a career and, and they were thinking ahead. And they, I just the nursing students, right? So I zeroed in on them. And what I did is uh, there was uh, several hotels, and this one's it's long been torn down in Minneapolis. I made an arrangement at the hotel that where I rented a meeting room that would hold, say, 20. And I, um, I uh, once a month I put these on. And uh, I'd rent the room, and I'd bring my wares in, my cookware, and set it all up, and the dishes and all the little goodies. And... And it would be invitation only, and I knew about how many guests I was going to have. And it was a sit-down dinner, so they're getting a free dinner. Sure. They'd be eligible for a, a lame cedar chest. It was a $150 item. There would be a drawing. One of 20 would win a cedar chest, so it was that attraction. There was no obligation whatsoever. I was just going to educate them on the purpose and the mindset of considering a futuristic investment in things that they need. 
So anyway. Futuristic investment. I yeah. like it. So the real challenge now is how do you mass close 20 people? You don't even know their names. Yeah. You don't even know their names. I have, I gave them name tags sure. with their first name, but you don't know no their No background, names. no history, nothing. nothing. So you got to play the group. You got to be very, very astute on how you close, and you got to pick the leader. Yeah. And once you pick the leader, it's like dominoes, and yeah. they, they tumble. Well, it took me a couple of dry runs to figure out how to do it. So to close the deal, I, I have to thank Parker Brothers for this, the Monopoly game people. I went and bought a whole pile of sets of Monopoly, and I didn't want the game, but I wanted the funny money, the Monopoly money. And predicated on how many guests I had, alongside of their place setting was a stack of funny money Monopoly money. Mm-hmm. And over in my display area, I had various other premiums, cutlery, dishes, and they had a number assigned to it, 50, 75, or 100. Didn't mean nothing. And how I worked the close was this, and I did it generally. If anybody's interested today, up to five, the purpose of that Monopoly money there is you can take $100 and go shopping and pick any item you want. If five or more up to 10, it could be $150. So I gave that type of incentive, right? Now, I'm watching facial expressions, right? And when I did my finale, right, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to excuse myself from the room. I'm going to go settle up on the tab, right? In the meantime, you guys figure out how much of the Monopoly money you want to spend, right? So... It worked that way there, right? Sure. How does one even come <laughs> I, up I with this? Like, this is like, brilliant. where do you come up with so these this, ideas? Are you driving down the road? Oh, like, whatever, huh. right? I have yeah. a very vivid imagination, right? Yeah. So I used this tool, and it was so powerful that I got to the end where I'd come back, and I'd say, okay, what kind of money are we going to spend? The funny money. Well, there's nine of us, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm short one to get to ten, right? Yeah. I said, what do I got to do to burp one or more of you to get to 10 because we can throw another? Or I could sweeten it up any way I wanted, right? So anyway, it worked pretty slick. So I would average about a 40 to 60% closing ratio. Now, they didn't have to get it delivered. I'd store it for them. They could make any kind of monthly payments they wanted because at the time, I owned the finance company. (laughs) You were your own money. (laughs) I was my own money. It was perfect, right? It was absolutely perfect. So here's the finale that was really kind of exciting. Okay, so now we're at the end. And then I had a, uh, an easel with a, with a contract or a purchase agreement. It wasn't a contract. Uh, a big one. So I'm closing now six, eight, ten people, right? And you got to have the momentum, the ether, yeah. the excitement. Yep. Because they start to wane, it goes the other they, way, right? They go. So this is all momentum, momentum going, right? Yep. So I can say, well, here's what we do now. There's seven or eight or whatever the number is they're filling out. So I got, and this is in the days where there was no NCR paper. It was carbon paper, yep. <laughs> carbon paper, three-point carbon paper, right? So, okay, so they're all filling it out. So I'm telling them what to do. Put your name and your dress and this and that. Yep. And here's the price and blah, blah, blah. And here's what your monthly payments are going to be. I'll write that down. And then I would always pre-sign these. They're all signed. I said, now over to the right. There's three carbons, so press hard. Okay. All right, fine. They'd sign. Now I say, the people who have purchased, please stand up. Now, this is more theatrics. Yeah. So they'd stand up. I said, now, what I want you to do is grab on the very bottom, very bottom of the, of the agreement and the top, and when I say jerk, you jerk it. So, okay. 
So you jerk it. So what do they got? They got the three agreements, yeah. copies, and they got the carbon paper, right? Yeah. And I say, just like a parade, we're going to throw the carbon paper in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they throw it in the air to celebrate. Yeah. And I'd get a couple other ones just under rebound, right? Because they want, yeah. yeah they they want just to part of throw the paper, too. Yeah, yeah, part of the action, right? So I got to do those, and I got to the point that I was selling 50 to 75 deals a month. Wow. Doing those kind of deals, right? And I was doing it. Nobody could ever do that, right? Yeah. Ever do it, right? And and then I still ran a sales organization. Yeah. Right? But just thinking of the different things and how to do this kind of stuff. So how many sales guys were you running at the... Oh, I had anywhere from... I usually had four or five full-time guys and um, 15, 20 at a time, part-time. Yeah. Okay. And I'm big into recognition, big into awards, monthly oh, hype yeah. sessions. Everybody likes it. Oh, yeah. Some the, we're the, actually the rec- working on. Sure, yeah. the, re- the recognition. Here, I remember selling cookware for another outfit, and the recognition was a little dinky trophy the size of a watch fob. And I thought to myself, there's no way in hell I'm not going to win that every month. Yeah. Every month, right? And it was that incentive interest that propelled me, and the financial part of it was secondary. Sure. The award yep. got me the dough. Yeah. Not the dough got me the award. Yep. The award, the recognition, the pride is what I was after. The money was a byproduct. Byproduct. Right? Ancillary yep. byproduct, right? Yeah. This is all my mind thinks, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. a peddler. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. a, I'm just a peddler, right? Yeah. In uh, a one-on-one, and this year I took it to a larger group. So anyway, so... <clears throat> so you do that for how many years? Till I was 35, and the reason I got out is the prospects stayed the same age, and uh, I'm not able to communicate in their sure. language. I just said, hey, I got to You weren't as relatable anymore. I wasn't as relatable, right? And and subsequently, I went on to do a lot of other things, and uh, you know, I use the word colorful in my business career. And the 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 deals I I put together are figments of my imagination. That's all they are. I see things differently. Once again, I said the criteria is. In fact, one of the criteria that I shared with you, Don, yeah, is. There's three absolute imperative non-negotiable criteria for me to do something. Number one is I know little or nothing about it, so I'm not biased. I don't do hobbies because I don't have a hobby. I joke and say I belong to two clubs, Costco and AAA, and I passed on ARP. (laughs) (laughs) So that's true. So you don't want to be biased. Let's let. I'm not biased. Yeah. What it is, it has to be a, a tangible product. Where everybody is a suspect, and 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 then you've I, got to be as interested in learning about it, yeah, as yeah, yeah, the prospect is. That's right. I mean, I know little or nothing about it. So right? you're and learning about it at the same for level, for sure, right? And, and it's just a product, right? Yeah. Just a product, and and uh, product knowledge isn't one of my strengths. Uh, more often than not, the the prospect might know more about it than I do, but that's okay. Yeah, I know how to stimulate interest, sure. motivate them, close yep. a deal, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's so number what, two, number two. As I have a couple other deals in various stages of disarray, right? Because my attention span is really, really limited. And that's a liability, but limited. <laughs> and the third, unfortunately, and I jokingly say, I never had the economic resource, and I didn't. 
you could I'd carry my net worth in my pocket and you could hear it. I love right? that. Yeah. yeah. It's an inside joke. I never was that despair, but yeah. nevertheless it's funny, right? Yeah. Those three things, and if they were prevalent, I'd go after it, right? And I have had all kinds of things. All kinds of various situations. And, you know, the most uh, well-known, as we talked about earlier, is when I fired up Second Wind. Second Wind. Wind Exercise Exercise Equipment, equipment. right? Now, prior to that, I can think of, uh, I was in the waterbed business. And another thing that I really, really liked is I'm very creative when it comes to a name and a slogan. Oh, absolutely. Name and a slogan. And I'll share one of you with one of you uh, today. I'll share a story where I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I couldn't come up with the name and I couldn't come up with the slogan, and it delayed me about six, eight months before I hit. But anyway, I can think of uh, um, uh, uh, I got into the most difficult business that I've ever been in, never would do it again, is the hospitality restaurant. I started an Italian restaurant. My slogan was, it was called Scarpelli's. I had to give it an Italian name. I didn't want to call it Enrico's because chances are I was going to go Tab City and I didn't, want to, <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass myself. So I created this fictitious character called Vito Scarpelli. He became so real that American Express sent him an application for a credit card. Seriously. <laughs> That's how authentic he was, right? People still talk about it today in the Twin Cities, Scarpelli's, right? And it was done in the 1930s decor. I didn't have any money when I started it. And uh, it became a relatively successful joint. I didn't have keys to the place. I just what? Thought, I didn't even have keys to the front door, right? I didn't know how to cook. I hired people that knew how to do it. And, yeah. and I promoted it. And okay, fine. Um, I started a... Uh, did you do commercials for that one? Oh, for sure. I did radio commercials yeah. for that. And, and they were kind of funny and uh, what, what was the, the slogan? The slogan the- was a unique dining experience, okay? And okay. it was. It, it was different. Really different, the place was. Aesthetically, it was different. Uh, another funny one, I got in the waterbed business, okay? A oh, waterbed right. business, back when waterbeds were a hot thing. Yeah. And the name of the, the waterbed store was Aqua Night. Night spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. And the, the slogan was a, a big white stallion with a guy in armor and a jousting tool. And this, the marketing pitch was a night on water is a night to remember. <laughs> <laughs> and they had this horse walking across a lake right, with his jousting yeah. tool, right? Okay, fine. And then uh, um, uh, one of the more successful ones, uh, I got into the cellular phone business in 1986, when cellular just started. started no, they weren't in go- suitcases then, no, but no. they were in bags, bags. right? No, they weren't even bags. No. When the, when cellular started in 86, now bear in mind, oh, let me let me go back a second here, back into the phones. I had the um, phone in the briefcase. Yeah. Hassle. I mean, it got to the point I didn't want to use it anymore. I had to charge it up every night. The damn thing weighed 18 pounds, and it was a pain in the ass, and the novelty wore off. So in 1960. Eight, 1967, I went on the waiting list for a mobile phone. Mobile phone. What year? 1967. Okay. In those days, back in the Twin Cities, and it's probably true all over the country, Northwestern Bell, the phone company, had mobile phones, and they were installed in a car. In a car, right? And the waiting list was several years, and there was only 160 subscribers for four lines. It's party, wow. line, party line, right? Yeah. So I go on the list, 
19, probably in 66 I went on the list because I remember the phone rang one day and he says, Mr. Enrico. And I says, it's Enrico. What can I do for you? Well, I'm so-and-so with Northwestern Bell, and I'm happy to say if you'd like a mobile phone, you can get one. Well, I thought I won the lottery. Right, right. I went out and bought a 1968 Fleetwood, Cadillac Fleetwood, big old one, like a like a hearse. And I had the phone installed. And in those days, it was like a pay phone in the front. They had buttons on it, four buttons. And they had to put the transceiver in the trunk. It was like a piece of suit uh, luggage. And they had to drill a hole, and I had a choice, my trunk or my roof. Brand new car, right? <laughs> I said, well, it ain't going to be in the roof. Let's put it on the trunk, right? Yeah. They drilled a hole. So I have this phone, right? Yeah. Now, bear in mind, it didn't work really good because it was always busy. There was four lines, just like farmer lines, right? Yeah. right? And you could see when they were busy, all four of them were red. And if it was green, you had to work fast. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't hit it fast enough, you could listen to the conversation, right? Okay, fine. Yeah. You could listen. I got tired of that, right? So now what I did is I would pull in front of the apartment, and I'd get Mary on the phone, and I'd tell her, this is Dick and Rico, Mary, and I got to see you real quickly. I'll be up there in five seconds. So I'd hang up, go up, knock on the door. Mm-hmm. How'd you get here so quickly, right? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I did this, the yep. same old routine, yep. right? All right, fine. So I had a phone in my car. Now, there was one thing that experience that I didn't anticipate with the phone in the car. A couple of years later, I'm getting gas at a filling station, and the guy seen, the, the pump jockey seen the phone in my car. He said, oh, you got one of those phones in your car. I said, yeah. Fancy. Yeah, he says, oh, yeah, I'm a two-way ham radio listener. You know, I can we intercept all those kind of phone calls. And there's a guy here in South Minneapolis. I don't know what he does, but he pulls up in front of his apartment. He's really smooth. <laughs> he's talking about you. Yeah, he's really smooth. And he says, Mary, I'll be up in five seconds. He says, I got to talk to you. This guy is really good, right? I said, Christ, he's talking about me. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> the privacy of the conversations uh, yeah, yeah. were non-existent. But anyway, I had that in my car till cellular came out. And back in those days, uh, the, there was no cellular, and cellular phones came out in 1986 in the Twin Cities. 85 Chicago, 86 in the Twin Cities. There was two carriers there was no portable phones. It was a phone mounted in the car. Okay. It was 3000 bucks for the phone and buck, buck and a half a minute for wow. the Wow. And the reception no. was terrible, right? And interesting enough, I got into the cellular phone yeah. by a fluke. At, at 1986, I'm 46 years old, tired, depressed, had all kinds of crazy deals that didn't work out. And I said, I want to go back to the basics, selling one-on-one. Suspect, prospect, close the deal, ask for referral, earn a referral. And this was perfect, perfect. I'm more mature. I know the game. I've had a phone and a briefcase. I had a phone. Well, your your audience was probably right around your your demographic. That's right, right, right. And uh, so anyway, in December 1st of 86, I went into the cellular phone business. And and I'll speed the clock up real quickly here. I sold so many cellular phones 
the headquarters there is based out of Seattle. There's only two carriers there at the time, a wireline and a non-wireline. The non-wireline was Cellular One. That's who I was with. They sent people out to talk to my clients because they thought I was running a multi-level deal. Nobody had ever sold as many phones as I did. Really? I sold a lot of phones. Why? I knew how to get the referrals. Did you have anybody working for you? Oh, yeah, I built built an organization, and the company at that time was called Cartel, C-A-R-T-E-L. And my slogan was a little kid in a convertible with a phone up to his ear, and it said, experience a moving conversation. (laughs) And that was my marketing campaign. And what I did, rather than a thank you card, this is really thinking out of the box. This cost me a couple of bucks, which was nothing. I went and had license plates made, custom license plates, and they all said the same thing. Dick and Rico mobilized. I had their name punched in it. Really? Personalized. And I would do them at groups of whatever I sold in a month. Yeah. And I'd have them punched out, and I'd send them that license plate, right? What are they going to do with it? They can't put it in their billfold. They can't put it in their drawer. They put it up in their place of business. And it was so powerful, yeah, so powerful that people come in. And say, oh, so it's just getting creative with the creative, marketing, creative the, with the, the marketing. Yep. And I still have those license plates today. And if, if, and if the guy's name was too long, I gave him a nickname, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I punched out that license plate, and it had the name of my company on it, right? Like Scarpelli. Yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it, it goes back to recognizing your client, making an impression on your client. Yeah. So that you're not forgettable. My thought process has always been, you have a doctor, do you not? Yeah. Yep. You have an accountant. And you hopefully might have a lawyer. You don't use them very often. And when you make reference to those people, it's my, you take ownership. My doctor, my, doctor. my mechanic, my accountant, my lawyer. My insulation guy. My insulation guy. When you can claim or have your prospects claim, your customers Preface by the my, you've done a hell of a job. Absolutely. In my case, whatever I sold, I became my phone guy, the my, my my pots guy. My, I'm my. Yeah. I became the my. Yeah. Top of the awareness, my my exercise guy, my. That's right. So let's get into second wind. Okay. You know, great. Well, I wanted to back it up even yeah. even further a little bit. So y- y- your creativity. I mean, were these like uh, middle of the night? You had a notepad next to the nightstand, writing them down. Where, right where on, did... right on. I said exactly. Today, to this day, really I simple have, as I, that. Oh, it just... Sure, I have a, a post-it and my nightstand, and I think of things. And if I don't write it down, I won't go to sleep because I'll try to remember it. Sure, I jot it down. My marketing ideas are middle of the night. Really, middle of the night. And I'm I, to this day, yeah. middle of the night. Now, do you wow. create some sort of routine to make yourself more creative, or it just kind of comes to you? It comes to me. Okay. Oh, what no. do you take before bed? <laughs> What's your flavor? Ironically, ironically, I take melatonin to help me go to sleep. Right. Uh, but no anyway, figure. so so I, I modestly say I have no talents. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, mechanical, I'm not technical, I'm not musical, I'm not artistic. I have a very, very vivid, accelerated imagination. Were you trouble in school? 
I was, yeah, I could have, I, I was, <laughs> but I, I was very creative with it, right? So it wasn't trouble, it was more entertaining. Yeah. So, yeah, there was issues. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm blessed with that. I really right. am. I see yeah. things differently. Uh, I, I have the ability to uh, digest things very quickly. I'm very, uh, um, I'm not risk adversive. I'm, I'm okay. Are you a practical joker among your friends and family? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I am, but... But I'm dead ass serious too, right? Sure. I'm dead ass serious, right? And I always say to me, the line ahead of me is always very, very short. If you're not the lead dog, right, you're looking up the ass of the lead dog, right? Yeah. And I don't yeah. do that, right? Yeah. And I surround myself with people who share some of my spirit, my my attitude. Uh, I empower people to make decisions. My management style is really kind of um, simple. Uh, I empower people to make decisions. I hold them accountable for those decisions. And I reward them accordingly. Huh. Simple. Easy. So, that's a simple. Everybody knows where they stand. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Very transparent. Does it, work, does it work all the time? No. Yeah, but it's a good philosophy. I mean, it works more than, than not, right? Yeah. But it's the laws of probability. Again, you're going to have a, some good guys and you're, you know, some rotten apples. So, heart, you know, heart, passion, work ethic are three non-negotiables when I'm looking at a prospect. I care less about their accomplishments. I care less about their academic uh, achievements because uh, I put myself in that arena. Heart, passion, work ethic. Everybody's got a heart. Yeah. So the passion and work ethic are the negotiables. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I love. Yeah. So, you know, when, when we were talking about this and kind of going back to the beginning of the, the episode here, you know, I, we talked about Second Wind and kind of the, the transition with that, right? And and how you started the one store and it just, it blew up. I mean, what was, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. I think that's where a lot of our listeners really got They're going to recognize you, it. Sure. Yeah. Right? Okay. And you they're know, interested it, in that story. Second Wind is, is an interesting story. It's by far the most successful deal of of the the opportunities I pursued. If I were to keep numerical count, and I did, or I do, uh, and the criteria is the business had to have an address and a phone number. Okay. Yeah. And and Second Wind was number 21. Second Wind came after the cellular deal. When I, when I was in the cellular phone business, I thought I found my home forever. Sure. When there were three grand and it took somebody with some chutzpah and imagination to close the deals, as time progressed, they became free with a Big Mac. Yeah. And when it, when it got to that point, my skill set wasn't needed. I mean, yeah. you could buy them anywhere and everywhere, yeah. right? So I, I decided to get out. I didn't know what I was doing, going to do, but I knew I had to get out of the phone business, and I did. And I did, I did really well. Well, meaning uh, it. it brought me back and it inspired me to get back in my my bob and weave and my confidence and reinvigorated reinvig I really was I was charged and I sold a lot of I mean a lot they still talk about it at, I run the people in the phone but oh yeah I remember you back in the early 90s and the late 80s and wow. how many of those things you sold and I sold a lot of them okay so I'm at a restaurant TGI Fridays in Minneapolis this is in March of uh, or, or January of 92 with a friend of mine who happened to be at a little dinky fitness store. And we get talking a little bit, and he's telling me about his fitness business and blah, blah, blah. And I had bought a treadmill earlier for a lot of money and never used it, but I had bought this like, treadmill. Like everybody else. Yeah, I bought this treadmill. It turned into a doorstop or a coat rack or a dust collector, whatever, yeah. right? 
And I got to thinking, I said, hmm. So I'm talking to him, I says, do you think there's any market to rent fitness equipment? Because nobody wants to make the investment for the attitude that they're never going to use it after they come out of ether, right? Right. Well, no, no, I don't think so. I said, okay, so we're talking a little more. And I said, you know, Nordic Crack back at that time, late 80s, huge, huge, huge item. And a good product too, by the way, but a huge item, right? So I said, uh, you know, those Nordic Tracks, that's an interesting thing. They cost six, seven, eight hundred bucks. Uh, I think I'm going to try and rent them. He said, well, where are you, you going to get them from? I said, well, I can't buy them from Nordic Track because they're the only ones that sell them. I'm going to buy them out of garage sales. There was no internet then. It was classifieds. Yeah. So I said, I think I'm going to buy these Nordic Tracks out of garage sales, and I'm going to rent them. Genius. And he says, uh, what are you going to call it? And names are so important, right? Oh, yeah. So I flipped the placemat over, and I'm scratching, and I says, I'm going to call it Second Wind. He didn't say nothing. There it's born. Second Wind. That's exactly how it started, Second Wind, right? On so, a napkin. On a napkin. <laughs> in a, a five minutes. In a, back of, in a restaurant, in the back of a napkin, second wind, okay? So uh, I find a place to rent. Uh, it was an abandoned print shop. It's the original second wind today. It's still there. Where was that at? In, in Louisiana Avenue and 394 in okay. Minneapolis. Right? Yeah. It's still there today. It was 1,500 feet. It was an abandoned print shop. I went to the landlord, and I told him what I was doing. He was a guy from Sweden, spoke with an accent. He's in Rico. He says, uh, the rent's $1,500 a month. You ain't going to last three months, so I want three months in advance. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I started with $15,000. I sold a car. I had to get the fifteen grand to uh, a used car to uh, buy these Nordic tracks out of garage sales. So I gave him a third of my working capital, and I fired wow. it up, and it opened March second, March seventh, of nineteen ninety-two. And if there was a museum of collectible fitness equipment, it was in there. It was stuff <laughs> that I scrounged out of garage sales, classified. So would you personally, you yourself, no, myself, go to these garage I go, sales? I go out and hustle everyone and haggle for the haggle price. Haggle the price. I bought these Nordic tracks, and I spent up to four hundred bucks for them. And, and I always had cash in my pocket, and I'm going yeah. back and forth, and I knew I wanted it. They knew I wanted it. I had a waiting list to, to rent them. And these people who had the garage sales had no, no idea I, who they were no up idea. against. <laughs> no idea, right? Other than they had something they weren't using, yep. and I wanted what they weren't using, and I had green dollars in my pocket. Right. So it got to the point that a period of time I had over 600 on rent. I'm renting them for three months. 600 minimum. Nordic tracks? 600 Nordic oh, tracks. goodness. I'm getting 50 bucks a month, 150 up front. Nobody ever renewed it. Nobody ever renewed it. At the end of the three months, they brought it back. They thanked me for saving them five or six hundred bucks, right? So they were happy to spend happy as hell. 150 bucks. That's right. And I'm cranking along, and I said, geez, I better get into the used equipment. Now I'm running around buying used solo flexes and this and that, whatever yeah. I could find. Yeah. And I'm running ads in the classifieds, right? And I'm getting people to come in. So the first year, second wind. Nine months, did about $400,000 in business. No new equipment. By then, I had a second location, and now I'm up to about a million five. And I'm hustling every day to go out and find the inventory. You talk about work, right? Yeah. In your game, people unload the insulation, and you haul it away. Yeah, bring it My deal, the best analogy I can use is I'm like a lion feeding the cubs. 
I got to go out and find the prey to bring it back so my people could sell. But how exciting was that when Every you found day, something? Every day I found something, and I'd pull up in front of the store, and I'd honk the horn, and they'd run out and drag it out of my Audi, and I'd go back out to hunt another one and hunt another one and bring it back and yeah. bring it back. Well, this goes on for a couple of years, right? And I thought to myself, there's no way in hell I continue this because I couldn't find enough product. Yeah. And my sales were predicated. That's a good problem, though. But yeah, yeah. But, but it was a tough problem, yeah. right? I had a couple of stores. I had another one I'm thinking about, and I said, I can't continue this because every day I got to go out and find the product. Yeah. Right? And you can't get people excited and hold them accountable if they ain't got nothing to sell. Yeah, exactly. So I'm dictating what they can do. Yeah. Too much pressure on me. So I convinced a treadmill manufacturer in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where Clinton's from, to sell me new treadmills. And I had to work hard to convince them to sell me new treadmills. I rented these critters with a purchase option. I doubled it to 100 bucks a month. At the end of three months, they had an option. They could continue renting them. Nobody did. They could buy it, and if they bought it, I credited two of the three months toward the purchase go. price. It's a try before you buy. Yep. So what was the close rate on that? Well, the close rate was really pretty good, or not so good, I should say, but okay. that was okay. Yeah. Because what I was doing was creating my own used inventory. There you go. So after I, I rented it four or five times, I sold it as used. Yeah. So I became the largest dealer for this treadmill manufacturer in the country in a short period of time. So I said to them, I said, share your story with some of your non-competitors in the fitness business. Referrals. Referrals. <laughs> That's amazing. And the whole yeah. thing opened up. And then, then I had the vendors come into me. And I was different. Yeah. And second one was different because we took trades. Nobody took trades. We sold used. Nobody sold used. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We rented. Nobody rented. So it goes back to one of my adages. I make it a habit of doing what the other guy can't do, ain't willing to do, doesn't want to do. He could be right. Right. But I don't know that yeah. until I try it. Yeah. And second one, fast forward the clock became the largest specialty fitness dealer in the United States. Really? And at its peak, we had over 100 locations. How many states were you in? We are in 13 states and 100 locations. Uh, and it was primarily to a couple of things. My story was good. Yeah. The, the, the previously owned was an incredible hook. Hiring people who had the hard passion and work ethic. I gave him the tools to work with, and my recruiting spiel was real simple. I have a recipe, and don't putz with the recipe. If you don't like oregano, leave it in the recipe. It's there for a reason. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. there for a reason. I'll take right. the suspense out of it. Just follow the recipe. Yeah. And some of these guys, young guys, and I had some gals too, but it was mostly guys, did really, really well, considering... They had no academic background. They liked what they did. Yeah. I furnished a, a steady flow of prospects, suspects to them. It was up to them to close, close the deals. When when did you decide, hey, we're going to go out to 13 states? I mean, did you grow too fast? Did, was it what? Very, way too fast. Yeah. Way too fast. My appetite was 
I love doing the exploratory. I was, I'd go out and search out the locations. I see things other people wouldn't see. Uh, at one time, I had 18 stores in Minnesota. Cousins didn't have that many submarine shops, right? Yeah. I had 18 fitness stores in Minnesota, right? Had 11 or 12 in the Twin Cities. Go figure, right? My first step out of Minnesota was Clive, Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. It's still there today. It's Is it still, really? It's still there. They still have a second wind, or it's called a different name now, but a second wind store in Clive, Iowa. And then we went to... Uh, uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a very good market. Uh, I got a little aggressive, and I went to sh- Illinois, Chicago in particular. Yeah, I opened thirty stores in oh Chicago. Oh my gosh, thirty, and that was twenty-nine too many, right? Yeah, brutal market. So when, brutal. What year was a were you at your height with stores? Two thousand nine. We had a hundred and three stores in eleven, thirteen states. In that year, we did ninety-five million. In business. Wow. wow. Unused equipment. Uh, wow. New and used. New and new used. New and used equipment. Yeah. So when did when did all of a sudden you were sitting there saying, eesh, this is too many? Well, here, in, in 2008, and I'm not an economist by any means, and my gut is my compass. And my gut told me things weren't right. Mm-hmm. They weren't right. This is before the, the issue. So immediately I said, how can I respond? <clears throat> My second most uh, costly expense, next to personnel, people, was rent. Rent. So I said, well, I don't want to lay anybody off, and I don't want to change the compensation of my employees, but I'm going to take a crack at the landlords. And this was ballsy. This was really ballsy back then. So in 2008, I spent a whole weekend a whole weekend drafting a letter to a hand-picked, hand-picked, there was 28 of them, landlords. At that time, I had about maybe 80, 80 locations, 85 maybe. And I picked the ones that weren't doing very well, and I crafted this letter, and I was asking for a little consideration for rent reduction. And looking back at the letter, and I never kept it because I was so embarrassed when I sent it out, it was so soft yeah. was so apologetic. No, no me in their right mind would have acquiesced. They say, this guy must be smoking some bad dope. <laughs> he's asking us to reduce the rent. Give me a break. Yeah. And he's asking it so gingerly and so softly. Yeah. He don't expect us to do anything. So no takers. None. None. Okay. Zero. Other than I tipped my hand and I was embarrassed that I was sure. sensing. You trouble. showed vulnerability. Yeah. I, was, I was wounded. And, yeah. and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm the prey rather than the hunter. Mm-hmm. I'm the hunted now, right? Okay. So three, four months later, I the pain didn't go away. The need became more apparent. So now I'm going to play hardball. And the second letter I sent out, some to the same one, and I added a few landlords, there wasn't an option. I picked about 25 this time, and I said, effective immediately, I'm going to pay you percentage rent, and the rent is 10% of sales. Starting now, and I took last month's criteria, whatever I sold, they got 10% of it as rent. Shit hit the fan. Shit hit the fan in a hurry, right? You talk about getting attention, right? Okay, I succeeded what I wanted, right? So immediately I took control. Now, I got evicted. Some cases they did me a favor. 
right? Yeah. A big time favor, right? Yeah. They evicted me and fine, I moved out. Right? Okay. Didn't negate my obligation. So once the ball got rolling and then things started getting really horseshit, okay? In 2009, we did a, 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 the most business ever, but we weren't profitable. It just was the momentum. In 2000, why, why weren't you profitable? Uh, if that's your biggest, because you know we have we have customers right who are just killing it, and they think, yeah. man, it's it's all about sales, sales, sales. But if you're not profitable, I, no, we broke even. I, in fact, we lost money in 2009, the year that we did that much business. I just had a high overhead, and I opened too many stores. In yeah. hindsight, right, grew too yeah. fast. I, I, I grew too fast, right? And, you yeah. weren't able to keep your eye no, on no, it, not whatsoever, right? I'm not an operations guy at all. I'm a, I, I got a kick out of going You're out. You're an idea ar- guy. Idea guy. I'd arm wrestle landlords, and I knew how to move them around, and I knew how to dangle the carrot, and I knew yeah. how to get extractions, and I knew how to put the deals together, right? Yeah. And I got a big kick out of it, right? And once the store opened, I didn't care. Sure. I went on to the next one, right? Yeah. yeah. The thrill of the kill. Move yeah, on I love to the, the thrill. Yeah, and I think that's relatable to to the listeners out there because, like I said, we get, we have guys who are su- successful in a market and they love building that market. And they say, "Well, if I did it here, I can do it here." Mm-hmm. Well, they can't be in two places at one time. They can't be in ninety five stores at one time. Like you yeah. said, most of them are bad. Uh, you know, your analogy: you were a bad trainer. Terrible. So are most of them. Terrible. Our, you know, and, and, and and the most important resource by far is the human resource. Yeah. The human resource. And, and, and back then, it was you could find them. Today, it's brutal. Recruiting today is so brutal. It's I've one of the number it. one challenges in our industry right brutal. now. Even for us. Yeah. Brutal. Even for and, our and, I, and I'm pretty good at finding people, right? Yeah. And my recruiting today is I go out and beat on doors, just like I did when I was selling cookware. Sure. If I want to hire a, a guy in, in my delivery or repair area or whatever, I go to Jiffy Lube or some gas station, yeah. and I watch a guy, how he's working out, and I check the personality out, right? Yeah. Personality. Yep. It's all about personality, right? And if I'm looking for a salesperson, if I want a lady salesperson, I go into a women's clothing store. That's how I hired this guy right here. He was he was selling landscaping, and I went to a seminar of his. And if you bought from him, he'd come over, give you a, 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 a consultation. Time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, during the consultation, he finally looked at me and said, are you interviewing me? I said, Strange questions. Yeah, this last weekend I'm over in uh, in uh, St. Paul. Uh, Kmart's closing a location right next to uh, uh, Walmart. There's Sam's Club setting one down. Good recruiting ground, right? I went yeah. and asked for the manager, right? She's 40 years with the company, right? Yeah. I wasn't interested in her, but I was interested in the other people, right? right. I said, here's <laughs> my cards. Smart. If somebody's people looking for a job, do them a favor. Have them call me, Yeah. right? All I need is one or two. I'm not looking for 10 or 20. One, two, or three, right? Yeah. And that's part of the game, right? And in in Second Wind, the recruiting was done through referrals from the employees. I incented them to give me recruits. Yeah. For sure. If they like what they're doing, they want to share it with their friend. But the human resource is by far the most important. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the commercials. I mean, we've got to talk about those. And, I mean, like I said earlier, growing up, I remember those commercials. They were fantastic. I mean, everybody knew Dick and Rico, yeah. Second Wind. Were all those commercial ideas notepad by the nightstand ideas? I, yeah, they were. Most of them were. They were all impromptu. I produced my own. No script. No script. No script. I produced my own commercials. I'd come up with the, the meat and the bones of it. One of the, uh, one of the funniest ones, I'd come up, I'd come up with the theme. 
and I was going to do a warehouse sale one time. It was called Broom the Room. So I had to go out and buy the props. So Fleet Farm is a big yeah. retailer in this market here, and they sell all kinds of stuff. So I go to Fleet Farm, first time in my life, last time in my life, I went to <laughs> Fleet Farm. I'm in the hunt for a broom, a pair of coveralls, a dustpan, and a hat. So I go and buy the props, and I'm checking out. And the gal's maybe 20 years old, and she looks at me. And she says, you changing careers? <laughs> She knew who you were. Yeah. <laughs> Changing careers. So uh, funny, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But coming up with these crazy slogans yeah. uh, or, or things, uh, I had one time on, uh, these are all live spots that I shot, no rehearsal. I had uh, Brock Lesnar, the wrestler. We and just Bob watched Lertzma. that literally just on YouTube. Yeah, Bob we Lertzma. just pulled that up yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, those two guys never met each other. Oh, right? really? Lertzema I knew for a long time, right? Yeah. And Lesnar, I don't know how I stumbled on him. And I got them together into the studio, and I said, here's what we're going to do. You're a wannabe, Lesnar. You're a has-been, yeah. Lertzema. This is the theme of the pitch, right? And we did one shot. Did That's it? One take? One take. One take. Wow. Most of them were all one takes, yeah. right? And the, the, the more hiccups they are, the funnier they are. Oh, right? Yeah. Absolutely. More real they are. Yeah, the more real they are. Kind of like this podcast. <laughs> well, that's what it is, right? You kind right. of ad-lib your way through. Yeah. And it's no different than my little, like I sent you the, the other day, uh-huh. the, those ones I do, the videos that yep. I shoot. They, they wouldn't pull up. They wouldn't pull up? Yeah, oh. I kept getting an error message okay. on it for All some right. reason. Anyway, yeah, I do, you know, I have a, one of my people's pretty handy with a camera, and, and I'll go into the my, my new deal, the Shady Deal Depot, and, uh, and uh, just shoot spontaneously these crazy uh, spots, right? Yeah. They could be 30 seconds. They could be two minutes, not much longer than that. Yeah. And it just, boom, right? It just, the spontaneity is the most important part of it, right? And the more real. The more real of it, right? Yeah. And the slogan, uh, which ultimately I copyrighted, patented, the why by new and slightly used will do, it was that for a long time. And then when I added new, I had to have a caveat. Yeah. And the caveat, except when the deals are this good. So oh. I can't tell you how many English teachers would get a hold of me and say, well, I don't quite understand how you say that. <laughs> They're contradictory. <laughs> and I said, well, English was a, wasn't one of my strengths in school, so I'm going <laughs> to use that as a cop-out. But that's what it is, right? It, it works. It was the confusion of it, yeah. right? It works. It was a confusion. Of so you, you did the commercials. You you ran Second Wind to 2015. Yeah. And and then it was a decision to make. Yeah, the decision was it was it was difficult to say the least. Uh, at that time, I was 75 years old. I'm 79 today, pushing 80. Um, I got approached by my largest vendor, Taiwanese manufacturer, good manufacturer been with them for 22 years, and they wanted to expand retail to North America. They seen the handwriting on the wall with the sports authorities and the Sears, everybody floundering. They wanted to have a more specific role in their distribution channel. So they approached me, and I wasn't interested. And then I had a little physical uh, challenge, unexpected physical challenge, and I thought, you know, as immortal as I think I am, I'm not. I had a couple of 250 employees then at the time. I have an obligation to them. Why not? So out of curiosity and courtesy, I decided to listen. And my grasp of Taiwanese is pretty light, and theirs of English isn't much better. So they were in my (laughs) conference room at my corporate headquarters, myself by myself, just me, and the president of the company and a couple of his uh, cohorts. And we started the dialogue, and I put the white flag up. I said, you know what? 
I could be interested. Yeah. And this is how the story went down. Not many people know how this deal closed. So this is exclusive. This is kind of exclusive. It's kind of funny, but it's dickism. It's dickism. <laughs> dickism. <all laughs> it's a like dickism it. all the way. So once they seen that they had somebody that was vulnerable or receptive, they say, uh, the, they all have American names, right? And uh, the president said, Deke, Deke, what Deke want for company? So I think for a minute, then I says, uh, I give him a number. Oh, Deke, Deke, how, how Deke arrive at number? I says, I do a tokus ball. <laughs> Tuckerspaw, what Tuckerspaw mean? I jerk out a vast number. <laughs> jerk out a vast number. Oh, his number is negotiable. I want Tuckerspaw done. No negotiate. Out of ass. <laughs> Are you serious? Three weeks later, the deal closes. For the, nu- the, the number, original number the you number pull out I of your asked, ass. The number I asked, it closed three weeks later. They did no due diligence. Wow. They were that motivated, and they knew, and I was. I was vulnerable. I yeah. could have said no. Yeah. yeah. Three, four weeks later. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. And knowing you, that number was way higher than what well, you Well, it was just a number, and what I did is I took the number of years I was in business and multiplied it by that number. <laughs> It wasn't very scientific. It was, it was an out of ass e- number. EBITDA. There was no EBITDA. None of that kind of stuff, right? It was nothing, right? I just put, oh. I, I did a tuckus pull, right? A tuckus pull. I love that. And uh, most of my friends are Jewish. A lot of my buddies are Jewish, right? So it was a tuckus pull, right? And, uh. Uh, and uh, that was it. And we laughed about it. And and then. Uh, so did you have Second Shade no. already in mind? Well, I was kind of thinking about it because. What am I going to do? Yeah, what am I going to do? Is, you know, I, I knew I was. Well, because you always said you had stuff my, going on. Here, what I didn't talk about today is during my interim of Second Wind, I had started several other deals. Uh, in the 2000s, I got into a, a recycling concept uh, called Woods and Water once again, hunting, fishing, camping, right? Yeah. And I opened up a bunch of those stores, right? And I don't own a fishing rod, right? Sure. Okay. And then I did pools and spas that was brutal i guess i was hustling in jacuzzi hot Oof. tubs right brutal business yeah. right you know at three o'clock in the morning they call me up and say hey my spa quit working because there's a trojan stuck in the jet right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well why don't you get that <laughs> whatever right oh I mean, man oh that's not covered under warranty yeah, man no, that's right i say so Whatever, right? So it was those kind of deals, right? So, yeah. So I had all kinds of interruptions. Sure. And then when Do you I think went, that was part of the down, well, demise well, of Second Wind because you weren't focused? Well, here, it probably didn't help. Yeah. It yeah. probably didn't help, right? Because I am very distracted. I have a hard time sure. keeping, you know, my... Squirrels. Whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, so anyway, so these are, these, you know, some of the various things and... So anyway, so when the deal did consummate, close, and ironically, you guys were my neighbor yeah. in Eden Prairie, Joe's yeah. headquarters right down the street from me. And then uh, they enlisted me or asked me to stick around, you know, to help out. And I said, I wouldn't be a very good candidate. No, no, we need you, Deke, Deke, you face of company. And I didn't last very long, right? And a year? No. No, not even? No, no, no. Because uh, you couldn't work for somebody. No, I, I, here, they didn't ask me to do anything. I felt guilty taking their dough. Uh, right? Sure. And I just said, this ain't working, right? Yeah. So I said, you know what? 
what I want to do is try to replicate the same thought process with a different product. Second, in the patio furniture business. Well, a couple of things I was aware of, but I underestimated. In this market, the seasonality, yeah. patio, yeah. it's really three months if there's a snow in April. If it snows in April, it's two months, right? <laughs> and secondly, the and I don't hate, like to use the word competition. I'll just say the options where they can buy it. You can go to a grocery store and buy a watermelon. On the way out, you can buy a set of patio oh, furniture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They Everywhere. Okay, fine. But I had some hooks. Difference. I copied what I did at Second Wind. My new slogan was, why buy new when gentle? No, no, excuse me. That's my second shady deal thing. I can handle myself here. But I did things differently. I uh, took trades. Patio furniture. Nobody takes trades. Really? I sold previously owned if I'm taking trades. Yeah. Did you have a criteria for that? It had to be in a certain condition no, or just, not, hey, bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. I was buying stuff sight unseen, right? I'd buy patio furniture, right? And people would send me pictures and I'd buy it off the pictures. Not a good idea. Yeah. I, I rented it a short term for staging, right? Or events. Oh. Okay, yeah. fine. And then in the wintertime, I had what I call the solution to patio pollution. I stored it for you in the wintertime, right? Uh-huh. No, we do a little bit of that for commercial clients today. Yeah. But it wasn't enough to keep it going. Right. Yeah. So I took trades, I sold use, I rented, and I stored, right? Some of the things I did at Second Wind, but not to make it work. So fast forward the clock today, I have lots of patio furniture. I'm in the liquidation process of getting rid of it. I'm not going to get out of it entirely. And I went into the liquidation business, and I have a new concept called the Shady Deal Depot. And the Shady Deal Depot is I'm in the liquidation business, and it's all household products. And I opened my first location six months ago today at my warehouse in New Hope, Minnesota. I have an 80,000-foot warehouse. I carved out 20,000 feet of it, and I made it into a showroom. And I have anything and everything that pertains to the home. My... Primary sources are Target, e-commerce, Costco, Wayfair, Pennies, uh, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, anybody that has surplus, okay. overstock, yeah. returns. Not an original business, been around forever. Yeah. It's just that there's more and more product available because of e-commerce. Yeah. People don't know that in Wayfair it was the largest, one of the largest retailers in the country at furniture and household items. They do almost eight billion a year. Oh my gosh. Eight billion. They don't own any stores. They don't own any product. They just sell stuff. Oh. But the returns are twenty five to thirty percent. Are they really? And we buy the returns. Right. And they and people today it's like buying a pair of shoes. They buy three, they're gonna send two back. Yep. Oh yeah. They might order two dressers, they're gonna send one back. Yeah. Dresser, right? Or whatever the case may be. So when these semis come in, it's like storage wars. I don't have any idea what's on them. All I know is it's household. And we sell it for half, at least half, what they would sell for at a store. Wow. Now, there's some risks involved. uh, Sure. But every day is a day, new day. It's fun buying the stuff. We're just getting going. I have uh, two stores open now. Uh, Third one is going to... I'm going to convert my second shade patio in Minnetonka, Minnesota to a retail location here in the next 60 days. I'm in the process of doing a lease here next week at another location in another suburb of the Twin Cities. Are you ever so, going to slow down? No. 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 Well, you say in your bio, since retirement was not an option, 
Is that just because you just know you you, you 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 need to be doing something? I have to do something. Um, I just do right, and and it's unfortunate because I don't have to do this. I've invested millions of dollars in my newest endeavor. Today, I I'm not cursed with not having the resources, but I got to be careful that I don't right. piss it all away. Yeah. Right? Uh, I like the action. I really like the action. Yeah, you can tell. I That's like scary. I like doing things, and uh, I'm just creative, right? I mean, no, I, I got some ideas with Second Shade that I won't discuss today because they're so far fetched, and they may or may not become a reality. But marketing and telling a story and doing it different and be and and having a memorable experience. Yeah. If people come to my current location where Second Shade is today, it's like Disneyland. I got mannequins all over the place. <laughs> I got a. I, I brought you guys a couple. I brought a couple bobbleheads here Love them. of of the of the uh, Shady Deal bobblehead with the gangsters there and blah blah blah. <laughs> it's it's just part of the deal. Yeah. The whole experience. The appeal is part of the deal, and it's memorable, and people think about it. I give away very nice tchotchke gifts mm-hmm. when people come in. They don't have to buy enough. I mean, nice gifts, right? Yeah. And uh, it's just part of the, the, the hype. Well, this has been awesome. I, uh, I've been the most silent on a podcast I, I know. ever because I'm just enamored with yeah, just listening the, to the your story. It's great. It's well, amazing. I, I apologize for hogging the no, whole show. No, no. This, is, this has uh, been We awesome. were talking before you came. I said, I have a feeling that, that we're going to be like listening a lot. And that's fine. That's, that's, yeah. you're that's where the knowledge that's, comes from. Yeah. I mean, we, I just, thinking about your story, I, I'm just amazed. It, 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 it's really simple if you think about it. Right. You know, here it's execution. Yeah. What I do is not, I, I'm not an innovator. Yeah. I'm not an inventor. I sell things, and what I do is I look around and see where these products are being sold, how they're being sold. Is there a niche? Is there daylight? Is there a hook? Yeah. If I think there's one of those three, I'm on it. But you also play to your strengths. You know what you're good at, and you go and you utilize that. You know, you don't, uh, you don't, I mean, you guess, but you don't because you know that. You're gonna you're, you're gonna take a swing at it, and if you fail, you move on to the next idea. Um, yeah, and when I did some of the public speaking, I always would conclude by saying it's okay to fail, because today you've been listening to a failure. Because yeah, most of the go. deals I've done, I was upside down. The Wall Street Journal did a story on me about 10, 12 years ago, on it's okay to fail. They sought me out, really, because somebody tipped them off. There's a guy in Minnesota. Yeah. And they did their homework. They really did their homework. Sure. And it was painful because they dug up all the things that were the disturbing. Stuff you wanted to forget. Forget, right? And I finally said to them at the end, they kept asking me questions. I said, you know what? This interview is over with because all you're doing is reminding me of things that I hopefully would have forgot. Yeah. Right? Right. If you don't have enough information to do your story, I'm done. Yeah. Two days later, it showed up in the journal. Wow. Right? And it was it was, ins- yeah. it was inspirational, right, in yeah. the scheme of things, right? Hey, I got one last question for you. Did you pay your mom back the $21? <laughs> I did because I sold my neighbor gal uh, uh, a set of pots and pans, and I walked to her and sold her, and my commission was 24 bucks. And I paid back my mother the 21 bucks, and I had $3 left over. And I said, there's no way in hell I'm going to lose this job ever, Yeah. ever. Something tells me you paid them back a little bit more than that. That's right. Yeah. Because back in those days, if you made 75 cents an hour, that was big dough. Sure. 
Sure. I said, this is a hell of a deal. Yeah. It's a hell of a deal. Well, some of my, <clears throat> the, the thing that stuck out the most, two things actually, suspect, prospect, close, earn the referral. Earn the right for referral. Yep. And then right here, this one I liked, never forget the value of your client. Ever. Ever. The best media, the best promotional thing is a satisfied client, and they're tough to come by. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. They really are. And uh, that's all I think, right? Right. I value them. I am not condescending to them at all. I look at them straight in the eye, and I say, I want to... I want to have you as a client. What can I do to earn your business? Yeah, earn your business, right? There it is, right there. Well, and you separate that, you got a you got a chance, right? Yeah, easier Absolutely. said than done, though. Yeah, and never give up, and be creative. I mean, it just yeah. creative. And, and, and right when there. you think of something, write it down, and then try it. Right? Yeah, try it. So. I think with that, uh, you know, I jokingly said uh, maybe 20 minutes. Right. We're, we're going on an hour and 20 minutes. Was it's it really? amazing. Yeah. Well, it's shorten, amazing. You can shorten it up. Butcher what uh, you want to no, know. Uh-uh. We're, we're going to keep it all. Really? Man. we got to keep, keep the, it all. the dickisms in there. The dickisms. <laughs> Absolutely. I now have a new phrase. <laughs> so <Dickism>. do I. <laughs> no, it, uh, it's, it's here. Somebody, you know, if I were to self-describe my, my personality, one word, colorful. Absolutely, without a doubt. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, Dick, thank you so much. It's been entertaining, to say the least. All right. Great stories. Appreciate your time. Yeah. We lost our technical guy. Ah, that's all right. He was on a union break. He probably had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even see the clock there. Holy moly, we're in overtime. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to pay him or something, right? I think he owes us lunch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we got lunch if you want to stay for lunch. Yeah, I see that. What's going on out here today? Uh, we've got a new hire orientation, so we're just uh, training up some new guys. Newbies. Got some speakers uh, in town, so I'm able to do this well. We should they, get Dick to go in and say five, ten minutes to these guys about don't be afraid to fail. Would you? Yeah, would you mind? Fine. I don't care. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe you could say something while we're eating lunch. So, yeah. uh, hit the hit the big red button over there, Don. There we go. Hey, thanks, guys. Want to thank you if you like this. Make sure to subscribe, um, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Our Value. This has been a presentation of the Seller Die Network. For more podcasts that you can take out into the street and turn into money, visit sellerdienetwork.com.